0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity.
1: This special edition of Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio Network and syndicated by Healthcare Now Radio is brought to you by the Jefferson College of Population Health, the academic partner to the Population Health Colloquium held in the City of Brotherly Love, March 18th through the 20th, 2019. For more information, go to www.populationhealthcolloquium.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director at Health Innovation Media and co-host of Pop Health Week. With me today... As always, is my partner, co-founder, and co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. And on the show today, we're delighted to chat with the co-authors of Cells Are the New Cure, which, quote, takes you on a tour of the most exciting and leading-edge developments in medicine You'll meet the doctors performing the life-saving research and the patients who have survived illnesses that before today had no good treatment option. The content inside these pages could save your life or that of someone you love, end quote. Robin L. Smith, MD, MBA, is a global thought leader in the regenerative medicine industry one of the fastest-growing segments of modern-day medicine. She received her medical doctorate from Yale University and a Master's in Business Administration from the Wharton School of Business. During her tenure as CEO of the Neostem family of companies, which she led from 2006 to 2015, she pioneered the company's innovative business model, combining proprietary cell therapy development with a successful contract development and manufacturing organization. Max Gomez, Ph.D., has produced award-winning health and science segments for network stations in New York and Philadelphia. He has reported for Dateline, Today, and 48 Hours. Over more than three decades, he's earned Emmy Awards, three New York State Broadcaster Association Awards, and UPI's Best Documentary and for more information, go to www.cellsarethenewcure.com. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Dr. Smith and Gomez. Thank you much, so
2: much, Greg, and it's a pleasure to be doing Pop Health this week. Uh, uh, Dr. Gomez, I understand uh, you've called in? I am here. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have you, Max, and uh, very excited uh, to be uh, looking forward to seeing you and uh Robin speak at the uh, event on Tuesday evening, so why don't we um, just get started a little bit and perhaps you could give us a little introduction to uh, our our listeners about cells of the new cure. What do you mean by that, and what areas are you actually focusing on with this book
0: well let's let, let's start out with kind of what what we mean by that and um, the the what what we're aiming at with that, with that title is that uh, we really believe that cells are a lot smarter than, than we are, and that in the very near future, and some of this is already happening right now, um, I think that physicians will end up writing a prescription not for a drug, uh, not for a pill or a tablet, um, but for uh, a living human cell, a living drug because cells really kind of know what what to do if you have the right type of cell and put them in the right uh, environment. Um, You know, if you have a drug, for example, a drug kind of can only do one or two things in in the body. It intervenes at, you know, one or maybe a couple of different biochemical processes in the body. Uh, The cell kind of by definition has billions of different biochemical processes going on uh, really minute to minute. And so if you put them in the right situation, they kind of know what to do, which is actually fix whatever situation that, that they're in. That's kind of you know, the 60,000-foot view of, of why we are thinking of cells as the new cure. And that's already happening. For example, we are seeing cellular-based therapies as uh, treatments and perhaps even cures for cancer, for some types of cancer. uh, It was about a year and a half ago that CAR-T therapies, two of them were, um, uh, were approved by the FDA uh, to treat uh, a type of leukemia in children and a type of lymphoma in adults, and these are manipulated cells. Their their own cells have been genetically manipulated and then put back in, and they uh, completely wiped out uh, the cancer. So this is not... You know, a dream of pie in the sky there's a lot left to be done, of course, uh, but some of this is happening right now that's so that's the basis for why we say we think that cells are going to be the new cure
2: you know some of this obviously is 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 really new, and there's a lot of exciting stuff going on with with this research and but but a lot of it still today is sort of I guess we have one approved fDA therapy at this time. is that correct?
0: Well, it depends on guess on how you how you define it, but no, there are two. FDA-approved CAR-T therapies, which are cell-based mm-hmm. therapies, one for children, uh, leukemia in children, the other one for a type of uh, B-cell lymphoma in, uh, in adults. They're, they're similar in terms of their approach, but those two uh, are, are done. And there are lots and lots of uh, very active clinical trials for everything from um, autoimmune diseases such as diabetes, uh, other cell-based therapies for things like um, uh, lupus uh, and MS uh, that have been very uh, effective uh, as well. So there's a lot of it going on. uh, Again, and and stem cell therapies, stem cell transplants, for example, those have been around, that's kind of standard therapy for Mm -hmm. a variety of things ranging from sickle cell anemia to uh, different types of leukemia and so forth. Those are kind of the standard of care for certain Cancers and and certain blood uh, disorders. So, it's uh, those have been around for a while. But what we're talking about is using them in applications that are really much different. And we can talk about some of the some of the specifics and details because I think they're really they're really interesting
2: if you think about these as some of these newer therapies and as we, we consider them from a population health perspective, we've got this aging population out there, obviously a lot of chronic conditions, and these are focusing on a lot of areas that I assume could have fairly positive impact on elderly, whether it's joint issues or, or other chronic diseases they get.
0: Yeah, that's that's another area in the um, uh, anti-aging, if you will, that, that some, people, that's what some people refer to it as. Field. But as we grow older, of course, we have, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we absorb a lot of uh, insults and, and uh, yeah. slings and arrows, as it were. And, the, uh, and, and that's really what kind of wears us down uh, after a while. You talk to a lot of people and you say, do you want to live to be 100 or 110? And uh, most people will say, well, yes, if. And the if is, if I'm healthy. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. want to live to be 100, you know, wearing diapers and in a wheelchair and, and not remembering my own name. But that's not what we're talking about. We think that cells
1: can not just
0: increase our lifespan, but can really be significantly increase our, our health span. And some of that has to do with cancer. Some of that has to do with arthritis, for example, or, um, and a number of the other kind of chronic ills that, uh, that beset us as we grow older.
2: So, I know that one of the other areas we've been focusing a lot on in, in, uh, as we try to work on the American healthcare system and bring in population health and focus on the triple aim is this whole area of costs. And obviously, many of these new yeah. products w- will or are expensive. Um, how is that going to work into it? And is there a way in this new value based world to integrate those in and have them be overly beneficial in all three areas?
0: Well, that's you know uh, that's the <laughs> that's the fly in the ointment, right? <laughs> um, those cancer therapies that that, uh, that I mentioned that are FDA approved are uh, extraordinarily expensive. Uh, now the prices uh, are, are going to come down, and some, some have already come down. But when they were first approved, the uh, the CAR T therapy, the cellular therapy, for uh, leukemia in children was just under half a million dollars so we're talking about huge dollars here of course now those prices are going to they're going to come down but it's still a lot of money up front but there's a couple of ways of looking at that if you this was a young uh, the patient number one on that was a, a young girl named emily whitehead and she uh, received this therapy uh right there in, in philadelphia as a matter of fact at children's hospital um and uh She was uh, seven at the time and was likely not going to see her eighth birthday. Um, She'd failed all sorts of therapies. Doctors estimated she had several pounds of leukemia in her body uh, at the time that she was treated. And what happened was she got that now. She's 12, 13 now probably. She's she's about six years out now, cancer-free. And you can argue that If you take that half million dollars and amortize it over, in her case, 50, 60 or more years of productive life uh, and paying taxes and uh, having a family, but also contributing to society, you can make that argument that that's uh, not a bad investment. Still, you've got to come up with that money up front. And the question is, will insurance companies do that? So on a population basis, that's not going – a half million dollar treatment isn't going to have – A a big impact Um, But those prices are going to come down And and we'll figure out ways uh, To Make it more accessible To the population To the populace uh, if if you will And that's you know that's an issue The first you got to do the science first You got to develop these things and then There's there's a science question the science Side of it and then there are the Societal questions which is How do we pay for these things and You know and, and how who gets to Who gets to benefit from them, and that's a big—that's obviously a big, difficult issue because science has raced so far ahead of our ability to cope with the um, ethical and societal issues that they raise.
2: Mm -hmm. And uh, Robin, I understand you've joined us now. As you as you think about this issue of um, of of costs and is. Is much of this due to just the the incredible research efforts and development costs it takes to create these technologies?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things. Um, certainly biologics are more expensive, more expensive to manufacture. Um, it's not like they sit on a shelf. Um, so there's a, a, a process that's much more cumbersome. But I think just to add to what Max says, which I think is important, about a third of all healthcare care is wasted. And the key here is what's the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. So you can pay more for a particular treatment if you can reduce the waste in the trial and error. So cancer is a perfect example where people are given chemotherapy, radiation. There's a lot of costs associated with that treatment. So if you can determine from the population all the data that comes in, more specifically how a person will respond to a treatment and use some of that information to figure out exactly what treatment a patient will respond to, you will be saving overall healthcare dollars in addition to all the things that Max has described. So I I think part of it is not so much that these are more expensive, but it's what you're saving in curing a disease as opposed to treating symptoms and, you know, the costs associated with, in, in some ways, the demise of that person. So we haven't done a great job in showing the pharmacoeconomic benefit yet. And so part of it is that the amount of dollars taken to get to a therapy that actually gets approved, the expensive clinical trials. And, and you know, those costs are obviously very, very high. Um, but I, I think there's a benefit that needs to be shown. And if you look really recently, it, Sparks, which is almost a million dollars for blindness for a very rare disease. That company was just bought for over $4 billion from Roche. So we're starting to see some of the more expensive therapies that really are curative and save lives um, and, and the impact they can have. And now we have to show the pharmacoeconomic benefit and start looking to reduce costs in manufacturing and distribution.
2: Right, and as you think about these, obviously, as you mentioned earlier with some of these with children where you may have a, a very long extended lifespan, do you see that whole issue of of uh, lifespan or quality of, of that years come in or the age of the individuals in terms of ultimately maybe approving some of these therapies
0: or not? Yeah, I don't think society is quite ready uh, to grapple uh, with that kind of a question that Mm-hmm. You know, a young person is going to be allowed to have uh, a therapy, and you know, a middle-aged uh, white guy is not. Um, you know, we're not at we're not at that at that right. point, uh, societally, to, to to figure that out. Although, you know, The Hunger Games or somebody else might <laughs> might have a way of looking at it. Another another point that, which takes off a little bit from what Robin was saying is that uh, wow. the other kind of a metaphor, I guess, that, that I use sometimes is, you know, when, when anti-lock brakes were, were developed, they were developed for Formula One race cars, that you know, that are multimillion-dollar machines. And now they're on every Kia, Hyundai, you know, Volkswagen uh, out there, and you don't even pay extra for them anymore. So the technology will bring these, these costs down, and little by little they will um, sort of work their way into more general practice. But, Um, in the interim and and at the beginning, uh, it's it's a lot of money, and we're going to have to figure out how to to handle that. Mm -hmm.
2: And I I guess you could really look at at this approach Mm -hmm. as beginning to, from a population health perspective, as you you mentioned, one, you know, obviously curative, but two, is is this similar to getting down to an N of one where you'll know that if we give this individual this, this specific treatment, we will get this result?
3: I mean, I think we're definitely getting better, um, you know, at that. I I think when you look at the whole area, it's a little bit of a bigger issue. I mean, you should be able to prevent some of these cancers, Mm -hmm. right? So if you can make impact in populations to reduce 50% of cancers, so now we've already cut it in half. And then through all of the data and the algorithms, that we we have that we can determine better what specific treatment a person will respond to which we get better and better at and we can earlier diagnosis now people are looking at liquid biopsies and and other technologies we should be able to get much more specific and accurate in how we treat patients so i think it's it's a multi prong approach to our healthcare system from prevention to you know repair and cure and more personalized and sometimes it's simply paying for an Uber car to get Mm -hmm. the person to the doctor for the follow-up or for the treatment. Um, You know, people are starting now to look at other um, things that can have an impact on people's health that may not be traditional medications or, um, you know, therapies. It's, there are other determinants, you know, of health Mm -hmm. that we're, we're determining, you know, have an impact. So, there's lots of these pieces, which I think if we can become more efficient, the actual cost of some of these cell therapies will um, be less um, important in that cost because we'll be savings in other areas.
2: Yeah, and I think that's just a a great point, that as part of a broader-based system focusing on social determinants, essentially putting in that broader population health system on the front end, preventing it, and then for those that end up with these conditions for whatever reason, maybe not preventable, et cetera, you now have a treatment that you know is gonna absolutely do X or improve their life by by this. So really fascinating. Maybe Robin, could you touch on what areas you think are sort of the next ones to get through these trials that are gonna be out and available?
3: Well certainly I think the gene therapies is an area that people are very focused on now, very excited about with, um, you know, CRISPR-Cas9. We're starting to see some of the gene editing um, into areas like sickle cell th- thalassemia. So there's a lot of excitement around that. And, and we should be able to see more data on the stem cell side in um, some of the later stage trials in cardiac um, and orthopedics. Um, and, you know, as I think the story uh, Max told about the Emily Whitehead, I mean, we're seeing more and more in the cancer side using different types of our immune system. The exciting part is that we're learning about different cells of our body and how you can take the cells. Amplify them, change them, um, you know, put them back in in a way that you can use a person's natural immune system to enhance fighting disease and repairing tissue. And so I think the gene therapies are quite exciting in the rare diseases and we'll see more and more with uh, CRISPR and even taking CRISPR, meaning the ability to alter the DNA and how that will affect the stem cells, there's a lot of early work around there where I think the next gen of stem cell therapy will be using additional um, pieces like like CRISPR and and Cas9. Go ahead, Max.
0: Yeah, so Robin touched upon, but I wanted to go back to to expand a little bit on, because another one that's in clinical trials now that is potentially very exciting has to do with Uh, an autoimmune disease and and it's type one diabetes where your own body is, is attacking the insulin making Mm -hmm. cells in the pancreas, the beta cells, right? And um, it looks like we have worked out ways uh, and it's still in clinical trials, but ways to um, kind of reset the immune system, if you will, uh, to put it in simple terms so that the immune system no longer thinks of parts of its own body uh, as the enemy and and attacks it and uh, it's that's happening right now in clinical trials and in type 1 diabetes using uh, cells to uh, reset the immune system so that uh, the, you leave the beta cells alone um, mm-hmm. and the reason you're doing we're doing that in type 1 diabetes for example is that it's really uh, it's it's very easy to follow with the effectiveness. You just see what the person's blood sugar is doing, and see how much insulin they need. Um, and if you can impact those uh, those numbers, then you know that you're having some sort of some sort of an effect. Um, and so that looks like it's going to be very doable. Now think about that. If we can reset the immune system and the autoimmune disease of type one diabetes, well, boy, this not the sky's the limit, but now we're going to town. Now we've got rheumatoid arthritis may be amenable to this kind of therapy. Uh, MS, uh, lupus, there are a ton of autoimmune diseases out there that are uh, have a tremendous impact uh, on quality of life, on health care costs, and so forth. Um, and this may be a pretty straightforward way to do this. The flip side, the other piece of cell therapy that would be involved in that is um, if you've had diabetes for a while, you've lost most of your uh, beta cells. So we're going to have to figure out some way to either regenerate them, and there are a number of people that are working on uh, pharmacologic ways to do that, or stem cells where you know, or stem cell transplants uh, or beta cell transplants, ways to replace the beta cells that the system uh, has been knocking off. But the first thing you've got to do is stop that autoimmune attack. So that's another hot area that's in real clinical trials, um, and very likely to have a significant impact on population health uh, across the board here in the fairly near future, I think.
2: Absolutely. I think it it, it really is exciting to see all the research across the broad spectrum of illnesses and conditions uh, and using uh, stem cells or potentially CRISPR and these others. At the same time, Robin, we're seeing this huge growth of an industry, a stem cell, regenerative health, anti-aging industry. I'm getting flyers at my house from a local place. They're all over Facebook. And there's a lot of questions. I, I know that recently the FDA cracked down on a couple of these organizations. What's that about, and how might we identify that or help individuals figure out what's real mm-hmm. from what may not be?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, there's always this balance. And, and I think the FDA always looks at safety first. So the the trials are often cumbersome and take a lot of time to get to a therapy that's approved. And certainly with cell therapy, it's a newer um, type of treatment where it it's not necessarily the traditional path of clinical development. So as the 21st Century Cures Act came into play, there was a little bit more um, support to see how we can get, these therapies to patients more quickly. And certainly your own cells that are in your body um, are, are considered safer um, necessarily than, say, someone else's cells, right? So there's, there's different ways that you look at this. There's different regulations that if you take cells from your body and use it for the, same, um, the exact same thing that they were there for in the first place, for example, um, you know, we've seen before, fat grafts and, and tissue grafts that, that we've seen in the operating room. But if you take stem cells from one place and put it somewhere else, the question is, um, is that safe? And should people be able to do that? Or does it have to take the traditional drug development road to come up with a the therapy? And so the, as this continues to emerge and work walks through the process, um, you know, there are people who will take cells just like PRP, um, now stem cells, they take it from fat and and different areas and inject it back, should they or shouldn't they? I mean, that's really the question, can you do this? As you said, you're getting flyers and otherwise, how do we help people in the population understand what it is they're getting, what kind of claims you can make, Um, you know, should they try it, shouldn't they try it? You know what's the cost of these? Is it too much? Is it is it correct? And so, it's it's unclear um, that there's an exact pathway that people should use to determine where to go for treatment. But I think that it's important that, you know, if you go and someone says I can cure everything, right? You know, heart disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, that's probably you know not likely that you know you should walk into that clinic and just say okay, here I am, here's twenty or thirty thousand dollars. So I. I think, like anything else, it's you have to be cautious as to where you go. Clearly, if you go to clinical trial or you look on the um, the website for NIH of of the trials that are listed, you can get a better sense of what things are done under some form of regulation. and And that's really the key here. is And there are many of the people in the field that are looking to create registries and ways to help give consumers a roadmap or more information as to where they can go to get these treatments in a safe way that will be effective.
2: Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, other thoughts, Max?
0: No, that's, I mean, that's the, the hard part about this is um, there's a little kernel of science in, in in so many of these uh, clinics that, that claim to cure everything from, you know, baldness to uh, to diabetes to Alzheimer's to erectile dysfunction with with some version of cell therapies and uh, you know the the old advice of if it sounds too good to be true it, it it probably it probably is and if they're asking for a lot of money from you then um, there's a good chance that that's really mostly what they're interested in. Um, <laughs> But that, that said, you know, the the science is moving fast, and these guys are, are using a little bit of science to promise things that the science isn't quite ready to deliver. And so you have to be very careful. Clinical trials are still the best way to uh, kind of ensure that, you know, that what you're getting is, the, is a real thing. But I understand that a lot of people aren't um, – you know, aren't happy with waiting around or going into a trial where they may or may not get the active, an active ingredient, and so forth. So, it's it's a tough time right now because we're in in a, in a transitional phase here where we're still trying to figure out what works, what doesn't, and 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 what are the details. And when it comes to cell therapies, as we found out, you know, the devil is in the details. Uh, a little bit of change in the details of some of a, of a trial here or there. Uh, can make a dramatic difference in terms of outcomes. So,
2: absolutely, um, it's
0: you know go into these things with a little bit of, you know, with a lot of skepticism, ask questions, and again, if it sounds too good to be true, hang on to your wallet.
1: With that, I'll turn it back over to you, Greg. That'll be the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Robin Smith, global thought leader in the regenerative medicine space, and Dr. Max Gomez, award-winning producer of health and science news segments, the co-authors of Cells Are the New Cure. To learn more about this timely publication, go to www.cellsarethenewcure.com. And finally, if you are tasked with population health or value-based strategy implementation at the system, organization, or enterprise level, do join us at the 19th Population Health Colloquium in Philly, March 18th through the 20th, at the downtown Lowe's Philadelphia Hotel. For more information on the colloquium, go to www.populationhealthcolloquium.com. And for the Jefferson College of Population Health, Dr. Smith and Gomez, Pop Health Week, and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying, we hope to see you in Philly.